First Lady Melania Trump's cyberbullying summit gets buried in a busy news week. A prominent Me Too advocate who accused Harvey Weinstein of rape is accused of sexual harassment herself. Molly Tibbetts' tragic death sparks a heated immigration debate. A woman in Saudi Arabia might get beheaded for protesting the government. And Time's Up gets hijacked by far-left activists. All that and more in this week's edition of Problematic Women. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Problematic Women, a podcast and a Facebook watch show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. I'm Jenny Malsabano, a contributor with The Daily Signal. And I'm Kelsey Harkness, a senior news producer with The Daily Signal. All right. Well, we're going to kick things off with someone who is a frequent problematic woman on this show, First Lady Melania Trump. She's doing big things with her Be Best initiative, but I think, Kelsey, that she might have chosen the worst week to participate in such a big summit because it's absolutely gotten buried with this crazy news cycle we've had. In case you don't know, uh, on Monday, she participated in this great summit all about cyberbullying because, as you know, kids are heading back to school. It's a frequent problem. So she kicked off the summit. Check out these remarks. I know many of you are here representing social media companies, federal agencies, educational organizations, youth programs, and law enforcement. I also know we share one goal, to pave a smooth way forward for our children, our next generation. But like we said, it sort of it got buried. And also in this news, um, they announced she's taking her first solo international trip to Africa in October. So we can't wait to cover that. But kind of circling back, Kelsey, whenever she t- touches this topic of cyberbullying, of online safety, it's inevitable that people push back and say, hey, wait a second, isn't this really hypocritical considering how President Trump uses Twitter? And to her credit, she has acknowledged that criticism understands it, but it hasn't stopped her from touching this this topic. You're right, and I think that's exactly why it's not hypocritical. She's actually doing this and choosing the platform of cyberbullying very strategically because I think she's sending the message to all of us that she does not agree with the way her husband, the president of the United States, sometimes tweets on Twitter, um, goes after his opponents, his critics, calling them names similar to what you might see in a high school or middle school setting. So I think she is the ultimate troll queen, and she's doing this very much on purpose. You know, it is interesting because the New York Times posted a piece after her summit, and they said, Mania Trump could be our greatest first lady. Now, this was an op-ed. <laughs> I did find that interesting, though. Yeah, especially from the New York Times. But in reality, I think Melania has done a wonderful job as the first lady of the United States. She's so graceful. She always, I mean, of course she looks the part. Um, I think she plays the part as well. These campaigns that she's chosen, they're all very good causes, no matter what the backstory is with her husband. But moving on, let's go on to the topic of Me Too, a topic that comes up on this show quite a bit. Um, So what happened earlier this week is that a very prominent Me Too advocate, someone who's really credited with being one of the the leaders of the Me Too movement, 
um, in accusing Harvey Weinstein of rape, was actually accused of sexual assault herself. So this came out in a New York Times report that Asia Argento, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Asia Argento, she reached a deal with an actor named Jimmy Bennett, who uh, she was in a, a movie with a couple years ago. And this actor claims that she took advantage of him when she was 37 and he was 17, which is below the age of consent. So the actor, Bennett, was seeking $3.5 million in damages for, quote, the intentional infliction of emotional distress, lost wages, assault, and battery, which is pretty serious. His lawyer says that his average yearly salary dropped from sixty grand in 2013, um, oh, dropped to sixty grand in 2013, and that's a drop from upwards of $2.7 million. Uh, the actor attributes that drop in salary to the trauma that followed the sexual encounter with Ar- Argento. So according to the Times, Argento agreed to pay Bennett over $300,000 after receiving his notice of intent to file a lawsuit Um so, Ar- you know, Ar- Argento's denied that she ever um, had sexual relations with Bennett, but she did admit that she paid, um, actually, <laughs> she blamed her dead boyfriend, Anthony Bourdain, who sadly committed suicide this year. She said that he paid, uh, Anthony Bour- Bourdain paid this actor to help bury this story, which I think is probably the saddest part of this whole story to publicly blame someone who was such a public figure when he no longer can have a voice in this conversation. So in a statement, she said, I am deeply shocked and hurt by having read the news that is absolutely false. I've never had any sexual relationship with Bennett. So, Ginny, again, she was one of the first women to come out and publicly blame Harvey Weinstein in this whole Me Too movement. Do you think this is hypocritical? Oh, absolutely. And there's another angle of this that I think is extremely hypocritical as well. Many of these actresses who were leading the charge with the Harvey Weinstein um, claims, they've now said, hold on, you know, be respectful of her. Let's wait. We need all the facts. True. I I think most of us would agree with that. Yes. However, these same women, typically, as soon as there's any kind of accusation against a lot of males, immediately jump the gun and want to crucify them. But now that one of their own is facing these allegations, their tune seems to have changed a little bit. So I think it just begs the question, you know, what is the standard? How do we handle this in the court of public opinion while fact is still coming out, while we're still trying to learn as much as we can about this before someone's career, et cetera, is ruined forever? But, you know, we're going to have a lot more on Me Too and Time's Up. It relates to Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, later on in the show, and we're going to tackle it all. Yeah, we're not done with (laughs) Me Too yet, so stay tuned. As Ginny said, the one thing I wanted to point out that struck me with this story is that this actor was seeking $3.5 million in damages. That's a lot of money. And I had to wonder, you know, what what type of harm did he really cause? And as I mentioned, um, included in addition to emotional distress and lost wages, he's accusing her of assault and battery, which is pretty serious. And, you know, assault and battery, add that to the Me Too conversation. Um 
I I think again we do need to wait and see more um, what more facts come out, but that's a pretty serious allegation for someone who claims uh, to be such an upstanding citizen in taking down Harvey Weinstein. Well, next, we wanted to talk about Molly Tibbetts. I'm sure many of you have been following her tragic story. I know we at The Daily Signal have been. For those of you who don't know, Molly was the college student in Iowa who was missing for a month, went out on that jog, and they found her body a couple days ago. The killer, it's been uh, announced, is an illegal immigrant. So there's certainly a lot of questions because they say he passed E-Verify. So lots of policy questions. But I think what Kelsey and I wanted to tackle today is, you know, when something like this happens and there is this giant kind of political lightning rod that develops from such a tragic story, how do how do we in the media try and cover it, you know, while being respectful to the family's wishes, while also trying to you know, make the world a better place, come up with some actual policy solutions? And it's it, there's no easy answer. There's not a silver bullet solution. What What is your take? Yeah, I really look towards her parents and seeing how they're responding and if they're responding. For all we know, they could be Hillary Clinton supporters who um, are very against President Trump's uh, immigration policies. So I'm hesitant to politicize her death before hearing from uh, from them. It's sort of like when school shootings happen and we constantly see the left use those to push gun control before uh, the children are even laid to rest. I think that's pretty sad. So, um, but this is a hard case because this, her death would not have happened if this illegal immigrant were not in this country, if he had followed our laws. Um, So I think what's so tragic is that her death was preventable if we had laws on the books that worked. So, um, I, I don't think the story's going anywhere. Uh, I, I know on the Daily Signal we're going to be covering it. We actually just sent out two of our correspondents to Iowa to see how people are responding there and find out, hey, maybe they maybe they don't think it's appropriate to be commenting on policy solutions, or maybe they do think it's appropriate, and we do need to use this case to highlight why uh, we need to move forward with some of President Trump's Uh, immigration policy proposals. So I'll be really curious to see what our colleagues come back with. We will share some of that with you on next week's edition of Problematic Women. So on another news front, in another far-off world, (laughs) in Saudi Arabia, a country that in the past year, couple years, seemed to be having seem to be making some really great strides when it comes to human rights and women's rights. We've talked a lot on the show about women women gaining the right to drive in Saudi Arabia and how great that was. Uh, Sadly, there's a story out this week that makes me think the country's moving backwards. So there's a woman who uh, reportedly might be beheaded after organizing protests against Saudi Arabia's government Uh, A lot of people, a lot of human rights groups are obviously very upset about her being sentenced to death. She's only 29 years old. She's already been in prison for more than two years simply for the crime of protesting the highly conservative government. So um, we wanted to bring attention to this story because, of course, in no country should a man or woman be beheaded 
for speaking out against their government. Um, this is a real women's issue. Saudi Arabia is a country that has real women's issues. And I think if you are a feminist, if you sit on a feminist platform, you care about women, we should care about her life because she, again, is not just sentenced to death. She could be beheaded. You know, Kelsey, so often in the United States, I think we take for granted the freedoms and the rights that we have. And a lot of times these international stories don't necessarily get the traction that they deserve. It's kind of, I guess, easy to block out, to block mm -hmm. out. And we're focusing on palace intrigue and the Trump administration. I mean, someone's life is at stake here for being politically active. And I think one thing you can say about the United States is even people who vehemently and viciously disagree most of the time would never want to see someone absolutely silenced. Like that's what makes our country so great is that we're able to have these heated discussions and this great civil discourse that makes us the greatest country in the world. Here, this 29-year-old could be beheaded. It's, it's barbaric. And for all these changes that they've made, to me, when something like this comes up, it doesn't really matter. I completely agree. That's a very good point. And the last point I want to make about this is to highlight the fact that Saudi Arabia is a member of the UN Women's Rights Council and also a member of the UN Human Rights Council. This story just proves what a joke these councils are. Um, sadly, you know, we, we saw just uh, Nikki Haley was here at the Heritage Foundation. Our UN ambassador, Nikki Haley, was here talking about her decision to pull the United States out of the UN Human Rights Council. And it's stories like this that are exactly that prove exactly why that is the right decision. It is a complete sham to for any free country to stand by Saudi Arabia as it's as it sits on a member of the UN Women's Rights Council and pretend like these organizations are doing anything to further women's rights when when a woman in this country is at risk of being beheaded. So shout out to Nikki Haley for making the right decision there. And if the issue of the human, UN Women's Rights Council or the UN Human Rights Council ever comes up in your casual everyday conversations and uh, one of your friends on the left just can't understand why the United States would ever pull out of something called the UN Human Rights Council, point out a story like this, because there are far too many countries who do not belong there. All right, and on that note, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will move on to our next segment called This is What Feminism Looks Like. All right, we're back with our segment, This is What Feminism Looks Like. And this week, it's another international story. Um, Nadia Murad, she's 25, was among 5,000 Yazidi women captured in northern Iraq back in 2014. Now, since her escape, um, she has campaigned extensively to make ISIS legally accountable for their just atrocious, appalling crimes that you can definitely read more about. And it's so disturbing and, and shocking. So now um, Nadia is married to a fellow activist, Abid Shimdim, whose family was also forced to flee ISIS in Iraq. And so this couple met through their great campaign work. Uh, they posted their engagement photo on Twitter, and Nadia tweeted, the struggle of our people brought us together, and we will continue this path together. And, you know, Kelsey, it's important to note just the horrific trauma that Nadia and thousands of these women have gone through. 
Um, she told the mirror how she suffered rape and abuse that, quote, a mind could not imagine. I think to me, it's so inspirational that she's able to take something that no one should ever experience and she's channeling it into this activism that's going to make a real difference. I think what an incredibly strong person we can all admire her and how awesome that she met her husband. <laughs> that really is what a feminist looks like, taking a situation where she was a victim and turning that around and using that experience to advocate for others. And then on a personal note, so happy for her that she met uh, the person she wants to spend the rest of her life with along the way. It is a beautiful story. It gives me goosebumps. And again, this is exactly what feminism looks like. So shout out to her. And we uh, hope she has the most beautiful wedding because she certainly deserves it after all she's lived through. When we come back, we'll move on to our problematic woman of the week. So we're going to start with a very simple one. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Kavanaugh has got to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Kavanaugh has got to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho, ho. the claps. Kavanaugh has got to go. Welcome back. It is time to crown our problematic women of the week. I say women because there are multiple this week, Jenny. Yes. All right. So we are crowning this honor to all the women out there who are supporting Judge Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court, specifically some of his female law clerks who are entering the fray and speaking publicly about why they support him and pushing back on the narrative that electing or nominating him and confirming him to the Supreme Court would be a threat to women. This this narrative um, was being peddled all week, Ginny, by a group none other than Time's Up. So if you don't know what Time's Up is, Time's Up was a legal defense fund that was started in response to Me Too. The idea was that a bunch of celebrities came together and said, hey, you know, we're, we're pretty privileged that when we face a Me Too situation, we have the financial and legal means to take action. But... They, uh, I would say, very selflessly recognize that many women in this country who face Me Too situations don't and might need free legal advice, uh, free legal counseling in order uh, to seek ju- justice. So this, to me, was a very nonpartisan campaign, a nonpartisan group. I supported it. I publicly supported it. I publicly supported Me Too. So I was so disappointed when I believe it was on Monday morning, I got a press release to my inbox from the Time's Up movement uh, saying that they were going to be co-hosting an anti-Kavanaugh rally at the U.S. Supreme Court. So... Time's Up describes itself as an organization dedicated to creating a world that insists on safe, fair, and dignified work for women of all kinds. And uh, they decided to partner with a coalition of women's groups to rise up and speak out against the nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. The, The protest was called Working Women Will Stop Kavanaugh. And the Time's Up campaign specifically said it plans to highlight the dangers Judge Kavanaugh poses to women's freedom to work and support their families. I had just a couple issues 
with this that I took on in a piece I wrote for the Daily Signal. I would encourage you to go check it out. The title of it is Time's Up Gets Hijacked to Push Anti-Kavanaugh Political Agenda. So the most important question in my piece is if Time's Up is serious about addressing and ending sexual harassment and assault against women in the workforce, how do they plan on doing this by ostracizing almost half of women in this country? Um, we know that almost half of women voted for President Donald Trump, so I think it's fair to assume that a big chunk of those women support his uh, nomination for the Supreme Court. So I, I don't know, you know, as you know, I, I think I know so many conservative women who would initially support Time's Up, but now would second guess that and view it honestly as just another women's march that's there to um, do political activism rather than to really uh, focus on the core issues that it claims to stand for. What did you think of this? Well, I think it's a self-inflicted wound on the Time's Up campaign. I mean, they have no one to blame but themselves. Yeah, they didn't have to get involved in, in, in the most contentious political fight of the right. Year. But don't forget, a lot of this does go back to President Trump and a lot of these liberal activists, especially the celebrities who are involved. Anything that President Trump does or touches, they hate, they don't like. I mean, never forget the night of the nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh. They had signs with fill in the blank. So it could have been Oprah. It could have been anyone. Like they were <laughs> yes. not going to support his candidate. They just weren't going to. And so Kelsey and I and several of our colleagues went down to this rally that happened on Wednesday at the Supreme Court to investigate, to see what was going on. And you know what? No one would talk to us. And that is a huge red flag because if you're if you have this really solid campaign and you're you claim to support working women and you won't do an interview with working women. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were a team of we all were women. On the down clock there. That's a great point, Kelsey. <laughs> But it makes me wonder, is something, do you not have a strong, solid message? Is there a lack of substance when no one will talk to you? Because normally you would appreciate the media time or the opportunity to put your message out there. So that was a huge red flag. Um, I talked about it with Genevieve Wood, our colleague. To me, it was sort of this identity politics bonanza because they were just throwing out these insults. All they kept doing was talking about how Judge Brett Kavanaugh is this old white guy and how that's dangerous. Wasn't really hearing specifics whatsoever at all. And last thing I'll say, they keep chanting, this is what democracy looks like. And I, ha I have to laugh because that's right. I mean, you have the right to protest and assemble. At the same time, President Trump won the 2016 election. So as president, he has the right in, in our democracy to nominate a justice to the Supreme Court. The difference is, is that these activists don't respect that decision and they don't respect President Trump. I'll add to that that it looks like Judge Brett Kavanaugh is going to sail through the confirmation process um, looking at the number of attendees at this rally. It it, there were almost more media people than there were um, actual activists, and the activists who were there all appeared to work for mm -hmm. different liberal organizations. So it would sort of be like the Heritage Foundation going, putting on a rally, and the only people who attended were some of the coalition partners we look we we work with, or you know groups like the Cato Institute, where sometimes uh, the Heritage Foundation aligns with. Um, so they certainly did not get many people interested in this rally um, from the general public, and. 
you know, I, I think this story, unfortunately, has fallen under the radar. The fact that Time's Up did decide to really politicize and weaponize itself. Um, but I hope I, I do hope women are paying attention um, because I think this is a really unfortunate situation uh, that that we as women can't unite on an issue like sexual harassment and assault. There need to be some organizations that we can come together to fight this on. And Time's Up, I thought, was one of them. Apparently not. They're, they're you know, just another liberal activist group. The last thing I want to mention about that rally that we attended and didn't have any luck getting any, any interviews with, despite being wor- working women ourselves, is that um, I'm originally from Connecticut, and my uh, senator, Richard Blumenthal, was there. He was one of the speakers I basically brushed shoulders with him and wanted uh, so bad to just talk to him as a private citizen. But the problem I have with um, seeing seeing men up there on a on a stage um, preaching about the dangers of Brett Kavanaugh um, at at a women's rally, I have so many issues with that because it it felt like there was a man up there shouting to me about how much of a victim I am, how much of a, vic- a victim I would be if Brett Kavanaugh um, becomes a Supreme Court justice. And in general, I think it just speaks to the whole feminist movement and the whole ideology that dominates um, quote unquote women's issues on the left. It's preaching to women that they're victims. And when men do it, it's even worse than when women do it. I'm, I, I just want nothing to do with a man who tells me I'm a victim. I am anything but a victim. There are real victims out there, like the Yazidi women that we mentioned earlier on in the show. And I'd be curious if she even identifies as a victim anymore. I'm sure she identifies as a survivor. So message to men out there, just stop telling women we're victims because we're not. And, you know, the Daily Signal is going to have a lot more content coming out on Brett Kavanaugh and his clerks. I know Kelsey has spearheaded that. So rest assured, we will keep you updated. Well, that's going to wrap up our show for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. And as always, if you know a problematic woman, please let us know. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Jenny Monsivano. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist and is produced today by Thalia Rampersad of The Daily Signal. If you like it, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd really appreciate a review and you sharing problematic women with your friends. As always, thank you for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. 